So we're beginning a series today on parenting, and it's always a little bit of a, a struggle for me, um, mostly because as a parent, I don't want my kids to be uh, like overly judged. And so, you know, if I say it, then if you watch my kids, and you only know Elise, and she's uh, almost perfect, but she's not quite perfect. And so we love her, and we, we think a lot of her, and we think she's a great kid, but um, you know, we don't want, to, I wouldn't want you to kind of overly judge her. She's going to make mistakes. She's a kid. That's what they do. I've got three other daughters besides Elise. We do, Miriam and I, and uh, one of them lives in Switzerland and two of them live in Salt Lake City. So you can make the argument. They try to get as far away from us as possible uh, once they got old enough to move wherever they want to go. And I guess that could be true. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they didn't do that because of Miriam. So it could be me. Sometimes when I'll use an illustration in a sermon series like this, people will say, well, you're talking about us. Listen, I've been in church all my life, and I've pastored or been a, uh, on staff in six different churches. So I've seen everything probably twice. So if I say something and it kind of applies to you, it's somebody else. I can guarantee it's not you. And then the, the, maybe the worst part is at my age, it can come across as the grumpy old man syndrome. He's just trying to relive happy days, you know, or, or leave it to beaver, and it's not the way it is anymore. And I understand it's not the way it is anymore. I get that. But there are biblical principles that run contrary to uh, modern thought, and I want you to at least consider them. You who are parents are going to choose. I'll give you the information. I'll tell you, I think this is the right way to do it. Um, for the most part, I tried to live these principles. So for six weeks, we're going to talk about certain things. In fact, I'll kind of get, tell you, we're going to talk about basics today, some principles that are basic to child rearing that are biblical. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about a strategy for raising godly kids. Um, the next week, how to uh, bless your children. That's is really important. Recipe for a happy, healthy home, uh, disciplining your kids. A lot of people have struggled with that. And then releasing your kids, which is ultimately the goal is to release them so that they learn to love Jesus and that's their faith. That they're not uh, uh, tag teaming on your faith, but they make their faith their own. And there are lots of people with opinions about how to raise your kids. I read an article this week about a thief um, he had seen a car, it was in Portland, Oregon, he had seen a car that was running uh, outside a grocery store and he got in and he stole the car and then he noticed there was a four-year-old child in the back in a car seat. So he rounded the, the curb, the, rounded the corner, he came back, he uh, parked the car and waited for the mom to come out. She had left the car there running, she had just gone in to get milk, she came back out. He scolded her. The thief scolded her for leaving her kid in the car, made her take the kid out of the car, and then proceeded to steal the car. So everybody has opinions about child rearing. Uh, in recent USA Today uh, uh, poll, people were asked, if your faith really impacted your life, in what areas would it make the most difference? 85% of people who are believers said if their faith impacted their life, it would make the most difference in how they parented. And so because there are so many voices that are constantly droning at you about how you should raise your kids and what it should look like, I thought it was an opportune time for us to sort of look at some biblical content on how child rearing should look. 
I see many faces of parents today, and I thank you for being here to, to, to listen to this. Our kids and you as parents are getting inundated with different ideas and philosophies and thoughts about child-rearing. And probably for me, and again, this may be the grumpy old man coming out in me, but probably for me, the most disturbing current trend is the sexualization of kids uh, in literature, in clothing, in fashion, uh, in entertainment. A recent survey was done, 75% of American teens have seen and viewed online pornography by the time they're 17 years old. 75%, that's probably low. Psychology Today, which isn't even a Christian publication, writes, when an adolescent boy compulsively views pornography, his brain chemistry can become shaped around the attitudes and situations that he is watching. Sadly, pornography paints an unrealistic picture of sexuality and relationships that can create an expectation for real-life experiences that they will never uh, fulfill. Plus, there are issues with body imagery, uh, Girls see women who aren't normal. Boys see men who aren't normal as far as their physiology goes. And it shapes them. Pornography shows us a world that, I'll continue with the article, shows us a world where relationships mean nothing and immediate gratification means everything. And not only is that not healthy, it's not holy. And it's certainly not the way that the Lord would have us live our lives. So we as parents now have this obligation as Christian parents to have this hedge about our kids and to protect them and to guide them. In fact, even in the Old Testament, we're told by God, fix these words of mine in your hearts and in your minds. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when they sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down. And when you get up, and what I can guarantee you, I send my daughter to a Christian school because in some uh, hope, probably vain, we're hoping to protect her to some degree. But even in that environment, I have no doubts that she is being exposed to things, maybe not as quick a rate as others, but she is exposed to things that we chat with her about when we're sitting at home and when we're at the dinner table. We have these conversations. You see, Scripture was given to us to help us. If you don't know about something, then you ask someone who is an expert. If I want to know about children's ministry, I ask Ashley. She is our children's pastor and she's great. If I want to know something about music, I ask Chris. He is musical and he knows things, and I ask him about that stuff. If I want to know about marriage, I ask Josiah. He's been married a month and doesn't know anything, uh, and it's really fun. <laughs> and, and so, lots of messages. When I was uh, a young parent, there was Dr. Spock, and uh, uh, some of you are thinking, like, fr from Star Wars or whatever it was. It? Star Trek? I don't know, y'all. Sorry, I don't know that stuff. Uh, not that Dr. Spock, the other one. Uh, there was Dr. Spock, and there's, you know, there's Oprah and Dr. Phil, and everybody had an opinion. There are lots of opinions, and it's still the way it is today. And television gives uh, ideas around this, and movies, and, and then our friends. But we have this resource that God has given us, which is tried and true, 
And it gives us this opportunity to look at, okay, well, here are some things that God says about parenting that we probably would at least want to consider. Again, here's the struggle for parents today is that much of what is said is different than what Scripture says. So I want to have a warning on this particular series. Much of what you hear during this series run contrary to current teachings. It's just the way it is. So you're going to hear something different today probably than you hear normally. And you're going to have to decide, this is what I want to do or I don't. I'll present the information. You will get to decide. Because that's your role as a parent. You decide how to parent. You won't get judgment from me if you decide to parent a different way. I just want you to know this is what the Bible says about certain things when it comes to parenting. And, and listen, I understand. I'm the father of four daughters. If there was ever anybody that understands how difficult parenting is, it's really hard. One author, Barbara Johnson, said, if it was, was going to be easy, it wouldn't start with something called labor. And so uh, being a parent is incredibly difficult. So today, we're going to talk about these three basic principles uh, around how we're to parent our kids. When uh, there's a guy named Paul, he writes most of the, uh, much of the New Testament, about half. He says, become wise by God's standards, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And I think that is applicable for us today, is that the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God, and God gives us a blueprint for what we do as parents. I've never flown a plane. I've only been in a couple of small ones a couple of times. But I do know that pilots, they need to watch the instrument paddle, no matter how they feel. You can feel a certain way, and people have uh, crashed planes because they went with their feelings, not with what the instrument panel says. And so I'm going to give you what I believe the Bible says is the instrument panel for guiding your kids. And then you, again, it's your choice how you will parent these blessings that you've been given. So let's just jump right in. Principle number one, and I've kind of already been alluding to this, is that the Bible is to be our authority when raising kids. It's kind of simple if you think about it. But I want you to sort of, let's just juxtapose sort of common current thought uh, as opposed to what Scripture says. Current common thought would say that the home is a democracy, that everybody has an equal vote. But Scripture says, children, obey your parents. Do you listen to your kids? Certainly. Do they have an opinion? Yes. Do they have equal vote? No. Not according to Scripture. Current common thought is you don't impose your, your religion on your children. But the Bible says, train them up in the way they should go. We're commanded, commissioned to be people who share our faith. We're to share our faith with others, but certainly with our family. Common current thought is you make no gender distinction, but God says he created them male and female. He made gender distinctions. It's his plan. It's how it works. Common current thought is that the primary task of the parent is to build up the child's self-esteem. Are you to build up the child's self-esteem? Certainly. But Scripture says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. We're also to teach our children that they do make mistakes and that there are consequences to those mistakes. Look at what it says in, in Colossians here. 
See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which, is, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles this world, of this world rather than of Christ. Because it's the loudest voice doesn't mean it's the right voice. And there are loud voices in the world today giving you information and ideas. But I'm thankful that there are some, even in the non-Christian realm, who are understanding and, and noticing that this doesn't help our kids. Ultimately, for us who are parents, our, I think most of us would say our goal is for uh, our kids to have the best. To have the best you know, education we can provide. To have the best everything they can provide. We want them to thrive. I, I, I would guess that there's not a parent in this room who wouldn't want their child to thrive. The question is, how do they thrive? What, what puts them in the best position to thrive? That really is the question, right? If you're planting a plant... And you can plant it in rocky soil or you can plant it in, in you know, uh, uh, compost. There, there, there's a difference. There, there's one where they thrive and there's one where they don't thrive. Now, can they thrive in this? Well, maybe. Will they thrive in this? Probably. I mean, you're hedging your bet a little bit, but these are things that God says this is what we should do. And we've got to determine, am I going to follow the basic principles of the world or am I going to follow the basic principles of God's Word? Again, this is our choice. Now, there's a model out there that says currently that we serve our kids. The kids are sort of the center. We serve them constantly. But is that the thing that's best for them? Again, is it best for them? It feels comfortable and it feels right because that's what we're told. But is it the best? In 1 Peter, Peter says, I'm speaking to you who are younger. Follow the lead of those who are older. All of you put on the spirit free of pride toward one another. Put it on as if you were putting on clothes. Do this because scripture says God opposes those who are proud but gives grace to those who are humble. What ultimately is best for our kids. Think about it in this realm. Uh, doing chores, simply helping pick up, that used to be common. I, I mean, I did chores. It was never even a question if I was going to do chores. Now it's less common. Well, okay. Isn't it uh, a value to your child to teach them certain, uh, certain things they can do? When I was in high school, probably 15 years old, 14 or 15 years old, up until my mid-20s, uh, I was in high school a long time. Uh, no, uh, when I was 14, 15, um, I think about this every time I go home. I was just in Kentucky last week. We have, my mom, uh, her house is on an acre of land. And, and when dad lived there, we had, a, we had a, uh, a garden. It was half acre. I mean, it's huge. It may be not quite a half acre, but it looked like a half acre because daddy had the biggest garden he could have because he had free labor. His name was me. And so daddy would plant, you know, tomatoes and corn and, you know, rutabagas. Who eats a rutabaga? I mean, why did we plant that? Uh, he plants, you know, uh, everything. We had everything. Uh, we, we had tons of stuff. And every week, I had the opportunity to till the garden. The opportunity to till the garden. 
Now, tilling the garden, I don't know if you till the garden, if you've never tilled the garden, um, it's not fun. It's hot, it's laborious. I remember going to college thinking to myself, <laughs> see you till the garden now, Daddy. You know, see what it's like now. I go back the next time from college, Daddy has a garden as big as a postage stamp uh, because the free labor is gone. But I learned some things. You work, you learn how to use your hands. There's something to be said for work. And we teach our kids, okay, well, here's some things you do to work. It's not just all about you. There's a second principle. The Christian home, this one is revolutionary, but it really shouldn't be, is marriage-centered, not child-centered. I'm going to stay here for just a little bit. In the creation account in Genesis, God creates everything. He creates the heavens and the earth. And he'll create things, and then he'll say, and, and God looked at it, and he said it was good. It's good. And we say that. When you're, uh, we drove through the mountains yesterday to get to Johnson City, Tennessee. It was beautiful. Mountains and hills, and uh, it was just awesome. And even though it was in Tennessee, we liked it. which is kind of a remarkable thing, honestly, miracle, really. Um, but you go and you see the mountains, and if you go out west to the mountains, they're just amazing, and the ocean is amazing. And so we see stuff, the desert, really, really cool. And we see stuff, and we say to ourselves, wow, that's awesome. We see sort of the hand of God in creation. And God created, and he said it was good. And then he created Adam, and that's the first time he said, this is not good. Not that Adam wasn't good. He said, it's not good for Adam to be alone. And so he didn't, create a, he didn't create a family for Adam. He created a wife for Adam. And they become the structure upon which the whole world is built. This family unit, husband, wives, this is how it looks. The children are this incredible blessing, the fringe benefit of marriage. But they're not the center of the home. They were never designed to be the center of the home. In, in fact, it doesn't help them to think they're the center of the home. It's not good for them. There are two sort of errors with kids that people make. Some are neglectful and, and, and some are overindulgent, overattentive. We, we, we look down on neglect. We, we sort of praise overattention, but it's not helpful. There's a, a guy by the name of Dr. Um, John Roseman. I don't believe he's a, a follower of Jesus, but he's written a couple of really great books. And he, he, this quote just speaks to me. In the years since World War II, so that's actually when I was a kid. In the years past after World War II, we've become increasingly neurotically obsessed with raising children. We've elevated children to a position of prominence within the family. They do not warrant. They have not earned. They do not benefit from. We love our kids. I mean, I'm not asking you to not love your kid. But the parent-child relationship was never designed by God to take precedent in the family home. It is the husband and the wife. And here's the problem. Oh, went back. Sorry. Where am I? Here. Okay. Here's the problem. There are three negative consequences to making your child the center you'll raise self-centered children. And that's a big problem, raising self-centered children. 
Think about this in the context of your kids getting to the age of being married. You, you have a daughter, and, and she's the center of the universe in her family. And she meets a boy, and he's the center of the universe in his family. And the two centers of two universes collide in marriage. And, and there's conflict. Because she expects him to dote on her like her parents did. And he expects her to dote on him like his parents did. And there's this constant constant conflict. A second thing is this. You're almost ensured the unhappiness of your child. They don't benefit from this. They like it. But in life, in the world out there, they're not the center of the universe at work. You know, the only way you can be the center of the universe at work is to be a Baptist pastor. Other than that, <laughs> it doesn't exist. It's just really difficult. And so we have a saying at our house. We always had it. The world doesn't revolve around you. Miriam says that to me all the time. It's really annoying, just to be honest with you. So how are these kids, if they're the center, how are they ever going to figure out how to work together? Now, we had the good fortune, the great blessing of having more than one child. And so we learned a rhythm and, and we learned to do certain things. And I learned, I, I love my mother. She's about to turn 90. Uh, we were celebrating her birthday last week, but her birthday is earlier on the 20th. And Chris, you may have to cut this part out because uh, Mana watches every week. But you know what? I got to college having never made my bed, ever, having never done a load of laundry, ever. I still turned out great, uh, but <laughs> I know you're all looking at me like, what a weirdo. Uh, uh, I marvel at the way my wife instructs, has instructed our daughters on how to cook and how to do laundry and to keep their rooms clean and all those kinds of things. I was too busy tilling, uh, so I, mean, I don't want you to think I didn't do anything. I was too busy. I was in the yard. But there is a blessing to teaching our kids responsibility, certain tasks. I, I, my, my job, my other job was mowing the yard. We had an acre lot and a push mower. So any of y'all was thinking bad about me, you can get that out of your mind. I push mowed an acre for a year, and then Daddy bought me a riding mower. Thank you, Daddy, for a whole year of work. But this is, you know, you adjust, you learn, you learn, you teach your kids responsibility. A third really, really big problem with, oh, yeah, yeah let, me, let me give you this verse. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than receive. When you make your child the center of the universe, when do you teach them this? You have to teach them this too. The third problem is this. It may destroy your marriage. In fact, listen to this statistic. The divorce rate for couples 45 and above has accelerated faster than any other demographic in the United States. We focus so much attention on our kids that when they leave, we don't know how to be partners anymore. 
We can do some things to combat that, and I'm going to tell you in just a second how. Uh, I'll give you some advice or some strategy for making sure your marriage is strong. I had a friend in New Mexico. He was a coach. Uh, he was given the opportunity to take a, a better job, but it was in a different town. His wife was from this town, and her parents, and she wouldn't leave. And she divorced him. But, but Jesus said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one, and you become one. It, it's, well, listen, the best thing you can do for your children is to focus on your marriage more than on them. USA Today did a survey and asking teenagers, what is the most important thing to you about family life? And 89% said the most important thing to them was to have a solid family that was more important than self-esteem, physical health, a sense of accomplishment. Your kids need you to be a cohesive family unit, marriage unit. I wanted my girls to see what it was like for a man to treat his wife hopefully the right way. Did I do it perfectly? Absolutely not. But I wanted them to see, I strived for them to see what it would look like. I, I didn't want them picking some Neanderthal someday and marrying that dude. I, had one, I, I heard about one pastor and they asked him, what was it like when you walked your daughter down the aisle and handed, them off, handed her off in marriage, and he said, it was the worst feeling in the world. It was like handing a Stradivarius to an ape. <laughs> and I think most fathers of daughters, uh, we agree. Uh, we all agree. I love my sons-in-law. I have two. I like them both. They're great people. And I'm glad. I'm glad my girls picked well. Picked men who loved them, who loved them. See, in New Testament era, Jesus did some things that were unbelievable. It was, it was uh, patriarchy times ten. Men, men uh, held the reins of all power. In fact, if you were a man in Jesus' time, uh, and you, your wife burnt the toast, then you could just give her a divorce. You could write her, you could send her off. If she became unattractive to you anymore, you could send her off. Can you imagine, women, can you imagine living with the stress that any moment, for any reason, your husband could dismiss you? Think about that world, just for a second. How difficult it would have been to live in that world. Men, you had all the power. You, you could do anything you wanted. And Jesus comes in, and he starts to teach this revolutionary new way. And he has followers, and these guys start to write books. And this guy named Paul, he writes about marriage. And in Ephesians 5, he says, In marriage, be mutual, mutually, uh, mutually submissive. And their minds were blown because wives were submissive, but not husbands. Husbands were never submissive. Paul's like, well, that's not the way Jesus does it, so that's not the way we're going to do it. Mutually submissive. Women, they are to respect, honor their husbands. Husbands, 
sacrificially love your wives. Paul said, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Not just, not just love. Love sacrificially. I mean, Paul was like, he's laying this foundation. He, he was laying a foundation that nobody had even heard of before. What? Mutually submissive? No. Wives respect your husband? Yes. Husbands sacrificially love your wives? Uh. And then he said, children obey your parents. On this foundation, you build your home. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. This is God's design. Mutually submission in the marriage, respect and love and honor, and children Obey your parents. Now, single parents, let me mention something to you just for a second. You might think that you get, uh, have a get-out-of-jail-free card on this because you're not married anymore, and so what do you do? Again, let's talk about what's best for your child. Do you think it's fair to place on your child the responsibility of making you happy. Because it's not fair. It's not fair to your child. As a single parent, I think the best advice I could give to you would be to love God ultimately. You love your child, you take care of your child, but you need them to know there is a life outside of this relationship you love them so much, but you want them to know that they are independent. You're going to train them, you're going to teach them, but that ultimately your happiness doesn't depend on their actions. Step parenting is tough too. Now you have somebody new in the mix and this person already has kids and somebody else has come in. And I would advise you, it's still the same. The marriage is still central. And just to be honest with you, if you trust this person enough to marry them, to give them your life, don't you trust them enough to help them raise, to let them help you raise your children? It, it's just common sense. See, children don't benefit from being the center of all we do. They just don't. So, how do you let them know that the marriage is preeminent? Let me give you a couple of pieces of advice. Don't let your kids interrupt your conversation, especially with adults. If you're talking to adults and your kids come up, and we see this all the time, I see it all the time. Then you just tell your child, okay, wait just a second. I'm talking you know, to somebody, but I'll be through and, and I'll, I'll get to you in just a second. Secondly, create time together without the kids. It's hard when you have a lot of kids. Miriam and I sometimes had to, you know, we had to get a babysitter or something so that we could have a date night. It got easier when, uh, when our oldest got old enough to be uh, the babysitter. That was great. And we could kind of go off and do some things. 
But you need to make some time just for you. Really important. Don't give your kids everything they want. It's okay to be told no. You know what? You're told no all the time. You tell yourself no all the time. If you see something you want, you have to calculate, can I afford this? And sometimes your calculations will tell you no. It's good to learn that you don't get everything that you want. Don't reward bad behavior. If they're bad, don't reward that. Make them sleep in their own rooms. Look, this is your space. This is your husband and wife space. Now, if there's a storm, if a kid is sick, I mean, there are exceptions, but for the most part, you make them sleep in their own rooms. Bob Reynolds tells a story about this. He was a traveling salesman and often arrived home late on red-eye flights. One day he came home after a flight. He unlocked the door quietly, kind of snuck in. He, kind of, he went to his room and he found his two kids in bed with his wife. Two in the morning, I mean, he's worn out, so he just goes to the guest room. But the next morning at breakfast, he says, all right, let's make a rule. Um, let's not sleep in the same bed with mommy. Let's not do that. So when daddy's going to come home, we want you to make sure that, you know, you sleep in your own rooms. That's why you have rooms. We gave you a room. He said the next time he came home from the airport to, to the airport, the family greeted him, his wife, his two kids. His five-year-old yelled across the terminal, daddy, I've got great news. Nobody slept with mommy this time while you were away. <laughs> it is good news if you think about it. In a world where we, we were just in Zurich, it was amazing to me to watch the difference in culture. Um, where my daughter Mallory has uh, an apartment, there is a school within a block. It's really close. And we would watch kids of all ages walking to school by themselves. <laughs> like, like even five-year-olds walking to school by themselves. No parents. And if we did that today, we'd call Child Protective Services. In this, in our environment, it is just different. We have to develop some sort of a balance, I think, to giving our kids independence, but also keeping them safe. Um, I have a 17-year-old. She has her own car. Um, she has a phone. Uh, which Miriam has you know, like a tracker on, you know, so we kind of know where she is. I, I want to know where she is. But we also have to give her independence. We don't want to wear our child like she's a sweater. She's independent. And as your kids get older, you give them some independence. Um, third principle, the primary responsibility of Christian parents is to train the child to be obedient to God. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Too many parents want their child to be wealthy or to be a great athlete or to love you as much as you love them. But Christian parenting is deeper than that. Our ultimate goal in parenting is for our child to obey God even when we're not there. Someday soon, my 17-year-old will graduate high school. It's her senior year. And she'll go off to college, and we're not going to be there. What will she do when we're not there watching? And this is the dilemma of every parent. Someday your kid is going to grow up, 
and be independent. And what are they going to do when you're not there? There's this interesting verse in Deuteronomy. It talks about an eagle, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. Let me tell you what that means. Uh, eagles will have eaglets. Uh, once the eaglets get big enough to fly and be their own independent eagle, uh, the, the mother eagle will stir up the nest and make it kind of pokey, and the, eagles will, the little eaglets will jump out, and they'll flail, and they'll fall, and they'll plummet, and the eagle will be close watching, and the plummeting eaglet is swooped up by the mother eagle, and she takes it back to the nest and then kind of pushes it off again. And over and over until the eaglet learns how to fly. The mother shows the eaglet, this is how you do your wings, this is what it looks like, but that is the process. And you're doing the same thing, you just might not know it. I want to end with a quote from Billy Graham. Children will invariably talk, eat, walk, think, respond, and act like their parents. Give them a target to shoot at. Give them a goal to work toward. Give them a pattern that they can see clearly. You're doing that. You're giving them an idea of how things work. I have four daughters. Three of them uh, I, I taught to drive when I was a little less patient. <laughs> And I taught them to drive, and I was aggressive. And guess what? My three older daughters are pretty aggressive when they drive. Uh, when I'm driving with them, they pretty much scare the life out of me. <laughs> Elise, I'm more like Jello now. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm all good. I'm kind of like Jello. I go with the flow. Somebody wants to cut me off. It's all good. I don't care. Um, I, it's, I just, I'm just less uh, about all that now. So Elise is a different kind of driver. It's interesting to me. I look at my, you know, this age when I taught and now the age I am now when I taught them how to drive. I taught all four of them how to drive, but three of them drive more aggressively than the other. We adjust and we teach and we're, they're picking up things. My, my dad passed away 24 years ago. He's the slave driver that had me, uh, you know, till all those acres of yard. I learned so much just watching him. My dad was a, a truck driver by trade. My mom was a teller at a bank. They didn't have money, much money. We were middle class, probably lower middle class. We had, we had everything we needed. But I watched my dad be generous. He was always generous. Be a kid at a church that didn't, couldn't afford camp. My dad wouldn't make a spectacle of it. He would just make sure they got <laughs> to camp. These are the things your kids are picking up. I watched him. I watched how he dealt with people. I watched how he... He, he was willing to be taken advantage of rather than anybody ever saying he took advantage of someone else. The wisdom here, give them a target to shoot at. Give them a goal to work toward. Give them a pattern that they can see clearly. Look, it's no guarantee. Your kids will eventually grow up and leave and they'll do their own thing.
What you hope and pray is that you gave them a target. You provided an example. But God gives us independence, free will. We choose. Our kids choose. I'm in a room with parents whose kids have made choices, some of you, that you are not happy with, that disappoint you, that hurt you. doesn't mean you were a bad parent. They make their own choices. But if our goal as a Christian parent is to parent in such a way that our kids make the right choices when we're not around, this is what we should do. We don't concede to the way somebody else thinks just because it's popular. We do what God says for us to do because it's right. Lord, I pray for the parents in this room. I ask that you would give them godly, wise wisdom, help them to lead well and to, to serve well. I pray for their kids. I ask God that you would raise up a generation who learn to love you with all their hearts and souls and minds and strength. I pray blessings on all of us who help guide children. I ask that we can walk closely with you so they can see. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.